this is RPG Cast number 679 for June 3rd, 2023. I'm your host, Not Privateer, back again from the grave. <laughs> I'm just like that bad toe fungus you just can't get rid of. I just keep coming back. And uh, some people call me Phil Willis. Uh, some people call me Toe Fungus. Uh, but I'm here to help uh, run the show today with some very good friends from rpgamer.com. First up, I have Mr. Ryan Costa. Hello, hello. Mr. Jason um, Ariola. Hi. Um, by the way, uh, tough, act, tough acting to necton will do that, according to John Madden. And of course, the one and only Kelly Ryan. John Madden! Oh, I remember I, those games on the old uh, Super Nintendo. R.I.P., buddy. We, mm-hmm. You know he died last year. Yeah. Turducken. Yeah. <laughs> was, he, was, the, was he the inventor of Turducken? I don't think he was the inventor, but he sort of brought it into the uh, cultural zeitgeist by uh, forcing uh, whoever won the Super Bowl to eat it basically every year. Uh, Is that why some teams lost, I wonder? Just didn't want the Turducken? You know, at some point, I'm like, I don't know how many birds I want stuffed inside of each other as a prize for winning a game. <laughs> and as always, uh, we are streaming live at RPGamer, RPGamer, twitch.tv forward slash RPGamer. You can watch us nearly every week over at twitch.tv forward slash RPGamer uh, about uh, noon Eastern time when we kind of kick this off, usually with Chris at the helm. And, of course, you can also hang out there on Twitch to see a whole lot of other streams throughout the week from our stream team. We're always happy to have you there and talking about your favorite RPGs. But we're here today to talk about all kinds of RP Gamer news and, more importantly, what we're playing this week. What are you playing, Mr. Jason? Well, as I uh, I think I brought it up last week, but um, I started up for Cry 6, uh, largely because I've been just in a... Uh, weird state of not being able to get into the games that I normally kind of get into. So I was like, I kind of want something kind of mindless and kind of maybe fun and not really taxing on my brain, I suppose. So I started that up and um, I got Chorizo, the little uh, wiener dog in a wheelchair. And um, he hasn't proven to be the most useful of companions, but now he is my tried and true companion because he's too cute and I will not suffer any of the other animals in that game unfortunately now he's too adorable and yeah even when he gets knocked out he just um gets rolled over onto his side and just kind of sits there because he's in a wheelchair and he can't get back up and so you just go and pick him back up and then he's just as happy as can be again so um i don't know if any of you guys are really familiar with the uh let's say Ubisoftness of a lot of their games. Um, it is very much, hey, there's a bunch of crap you can go do. We'll go do it. And it just seems to keep popping up that way. It's been kind of, I don't want to say a huge fun ride or anything, but uh, having Chorizo in there to go distract uh, some guards and then I just pop them in the back of the head while they're not looking or looking at Chorizo specifically at how adorable he is, has been fun. I, I think I mentioned this last week that um, it feels like a 15-year-old teenage edgelord um, wrote a lot of the dialogue because it's like the F-bomb for every adjective, adverb, noun, and you can just come up with. So it's just like after a while, it's like, you know, like maybe just going to kind of put the sound on mute and just listen to a record or something while I'm playing this game because, yeah, I don't really need to hear that every other word. So, yeah, just sort of one of those things of like, yeah, this is fine i guess if i was like 13 to 15 years old i would think this game was super awesome because of how many curse words there are but yeah i'm a 40 year old man and just kind of over it at this point 
So you're saying that it has a whole bunch of like uh, fetch quests and stuff that feel like they're copied and pasted? Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of it is just uh, go over here and go kill these people and go grab some uh, MacGuffin over there and that'll do it. Um, and then right after that, it's okay, go over here and go get this other thing or blow up this other thing. And it's just kind of that continually. But it, I don't know, like there's a part of my brain that enjoys that, but it does kind of peter off after a while. So I'm thinking like this week, I'll probably play it for a couple of days and then take a break from it for maybe a week or two and then come back to it. It's just sort of one of those mindless things that I, I just do to sort of get out of a funk sometimes. Um, yeah. So like I said, it's... If that formula is something you can get into, I, I don't know. It's like fifteen bucks anymore, and I I think it's I think it's worth the fifteen dollars if that's your sort of game. Um, specifically for Chorizo, he's just adorable, and I I'm normally a cat person, but um, this this little dog, this little dachshund in a wheelchair has uh, stolen my heart. He's wheeled away with my heart, if you will. Uh, this is a a paladin. This is a Far Cry Six. So yeah. Um. And then last night, I made the mistake of, after taking my son to the movies, because my uh, wife and daughter are on a Girl Scout camping trip, um, my son and I went to the movies, we got homely, I put him to bed, and I decided to finally get um, set up the uh, wireless keyboard and mouse for my Steam Deck on my dock, and try The Great War Western Front, which is a grand strategy game based on World War One. I. I think I brought this up before, that um, I'm a kind of a World War One weeb, I guess is maybe the weirdest way of putting it. And I was like, okay, I want to try something, because most of the time, like, what I find fascinating about World War One isn't anything that you can really get into a video game. I was like, well, maybe I can kind of do this, because there's some of the politics and the, um, uh, let's say the the buffs for the two different sides kind of affect um or they're affected by some of the traits of the people like germans are really efficient um british the british are crack shots um the french have like a defense bonus because they're being invaded basically so just kind of that's oh and americans really love tanks because they like big dumb things apparently <laughs> so i tried playing this and um blee i may have bit off a little bit more than i can chew it's uh, incredibly complicated and like two and a half hours later i'm still not through the tutorial yet and i'm still not 100 percent sure i have a really good grasp on the game because there's a lot of back-end stuff to kind of deal with in there it seems interesting but um also the text is really tiny and I'm playing it on my TV because I don't really have a proper PC to play it on. So I don't know if this game is going to work out for me, unfortunately, unless I sit three feet in front of the TV. And I am, again, as I mentioned, a 40-year-old guy who uh, can't sit on the floor anymore and play video games. So, yeah. I know that feeling. Going back a sec here, when you were mentioning the uh, Animal Companion got me thinking of... RPGs in general with Animal Companions, and I started realizing that I usually just keep the default one because I never have the heart to swap out. Mm, okay. And yeah, it's, it's a sense of loyalty to the first one. I completely understand that. Yeah, I was wondering if anyone else had, uh, like, nope, I have to use this one that you get at the end of the game. Just doesn't seem right because, you know, the dog or cat's been following you around the whole time and suddenly, like, I like this cat better. Like, this doesn't <laughs> seem to fit, really. Um, yes. I get terribly attached to my hunter pets in WoW. Um, my my very first one I named after my actual cat Kiki, and that was like in 20. No, wait, no, that was 2007 when I first started playing WoW. And Kiki, like, I I would get in arguments with people in raids. It's like, shouldn't you be using a wolf that's the best DPS? It's like, no, I'm using my cat because he's my cat and I love him. 
And uh, I, when the actual Kiki passed away, I ended up retiring that pet and getting one after um, my new cat, Lita. Well, at the time, my cat, new cat, Lita. So, yeah, I totally understand getting horribly attached to certain companions and not wanting the ones. Yeah, the first companion you get in Far Cry 6 is a, um alligator named Guapo, which is uh, Spanish for handsome. And I, I he's great to use, but um, like I said, Chorizo is just too cute. I could not um, could not get rid of Chorizo. So. <laughs> I could see being attached to a handsome alligator, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's he's a stud buffin. He's even got like a like a gold tooth kind of thing there. When you um, go to pet him, you can pet the gator if that's if that's your thing. <laughs> so, Twitter account canyoupetthegator.com. <laughs> or, yeah, at can you pet the gator? Yeah, and it's uh, literally only uh, Guapo in Far Cry Six. I can't imagine there's another game where you can pet an alligator. If there is, I want there to be a coin flip where. The gator likes it half the time. The other half tries biting your hand. <laughs> I mean, as they say, any zoo is a petting zoo if you're brave enough. Yeah, that's that is very true. <laughs> Might also be the last zoo you go to, but. <laughs> <laughs> so so I've been playing yeah. the. So this, what are you up to, Miss Kelly? I've I've been playing the sequel to your favorite game of all time, Phil. Uh, I've been playing um, Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of the Kingdom. Well, so, if it makes you feel any better, I actually did cave and buy it. I have a lot of problems as everyone knows with Breath of the Wild, but I can't deny it's a masterpiece, and it's still something I enjoy going back to. It's like a love-hate relationship. It's an abusive relationship that I keep returning to. <laughs> I I get you, and I mean, my husband and I were having a long discussion about whether or not we like this game or not, because they didn't address a lot of the issues with the first game at all. And if anything, it feels like they kind of doubled down on some of them. Like, well, yeah, you can fuse weapons, but they're just going to break. Uh, mm-hmm. They did. Yes. And that, that bothers me. And the fact that this one has a, is just very resource like compared to the film like it's it's really hard to farm up a lot of stuff like but at the same time just hopping on a motorbike uh, or an air bike and just flying around the world is so fun um i spent i've spent a good chunk of time trying to find all of the shrines and i pretty much found all of them but two and the two that um I can't find our, our uh, locked behind story, so I had to pr- progress the story a little bit before I could continue. So then I thought, well, okay, well, I'm gonna upgrade my all my bag space, and <laughs> I, I spent an entire day running around finding Korok seeds, and then was like, okay, I am sick of finding Korok seeds, so I've progressed the story. Um, I, I went, I was in Hyrule Castle this morning just running around trying to find all the different weapons and stuff and um, some of the different armor sets in Hyrule Castle. And then you get in a fight with a bunch of phantom Ganons and now they're sending me on a ruins um, run to figure out the next part of the story. That that's been my kind of tears of the kingdom report this week. Um, That's all I've played. <laughs> I, yeah, I, Kelly, I can tell you're really up in the air if you're enjoying it or not. If that's no, all you're I mean, playing. <laughs> I mean, if I wouldn't be playing it, obviously, if I wasn't enjoying it. It's just a matter of, well, do I think it's better than the first game, or do I think it's 
uh, pretty much the same as the first game with a little bit shinier tent. And I, I can't decide on that. I gotcha. See, for me, like I said, I think it's a lot of the, uh, I suppose, the the puzzles in this one that are a little, you know, like I said, it's just all the physics-based stuff that I just, I'm, I'm kind of not into. Mm-hmm. So from, and just how much bigger Tears of the Kingdom is than Breath of the Wild. And I'm like, I'm 40, I am halfway through my life. I don't know if I have enough time to do this sort of crap anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get you, and I'm sort of in that mode right now where it's like, I, I sort of feel like I'm ready to be done with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what, why I kind of gave up on it, maxing out my inventory uh, <laughs> to the the most you can get, because that's a lot of Korok seeds, and uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, do I really want to go hunt down hundreds of Korok seeds to get one eat- more inventory slot yeah i didn't even do that in breath of the wild i got what i felt was a fair amount that could get me through it and i just kind of like was like all right this is fine if i stumble across korok seeds i'll i'll go after them otherwise i'm just not and any of the ones that gave me any trouble i was like all right um, if this noise i'm gonna just keep on moving yeah because i mean you you can have a map open and you know choose your way to finding them all day but when you get to that place and whether or not you're gonna you know, actually know what you're supposed to do is another thing entirely. Uh-huh. Plus, when uh, Breath of the Wild came out, there was a physical strategy guide that came out day and date with it, so it made it a lot easier for me just to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, I think the Tears of the Kingdom one is coming out sometime this month, so it's like, well, you know, here we are like a month later, and the guide's just coming out, so I was thinking about getting the guide just to maybe give it one more shot before I completely threw in the towel on it, but I'm also like, do I really want to spend more money on this game that I haven't been enjoying? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get you. Um, I, I bought the guide just because I like the um, Zelda hardcover guides. I sort of co- collect them to an extent. Uh, but yeah, by the time it gets here, I'm going to be done with the game, and that just seems to be gu- guides anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, ever since Prima kind of bit the dust, like, we just don't get guides, like, day and date anymore like we used to. But what's funny is they have them, uh, Prima's, um, website has guides. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm weird, I guess. I still like a physical guide in my, in my lap while I'm playing a game or, you know, off to the side while I'm playing. It just, I, I've always... I don't know. I've I've never made the transition well, and I think it a lot of it has to do with a, a game FAQ experience I had trying to play Seiken Densetsu three. Well, it wasn't a game FAQ. Somebody had translated it and put it in like a text file, and I sat there like trying to read it in Japanese and mm. like okay, well if you select the second one here, it goes to this branch of dialogue here, and I think I did that for I don't know like ten hours, and I was just like I'm not doing this anymore, and I think it did something to my brain of like being online and playing a game at the same time just mm-hmm. kind of was not a fun experience yeah there is something to be i mean i i like physical guides but there is something to be said about being able to control f something when you're trying oh, yeah, to find absolutely. um i went through that playing i i got the hardcover xenoblade um x guide and was trying to find stuff and for some dumb reason that guy didn't have a lot of the information in alphabetical order so yeah. so it's like where's control f in real life yeah no kidding uh, it's called learning to speed read apparently yeah so yeah when i was in a jrtc in high school um the like guy that was second in charge command i don't remember exactly nor do i particularly care i suppose um he was like trying to teach us all how to speed read and i'm like 
I am not getting any of this by your method. You're just doing it wrong. Okay. Uh, doesn't mean it's working for me, but all right, go ahead and keep yelling at me, old man. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, speed reading really depends. Yeah. Yeah. And my brain ain't wired that way. <laughs> I, I, I saw a thing recently that sh showed that um, highlighting like the first three letters in the word helps people speed. But at that point, then you're highlighting the first three letters of every single word. At yeah. that point, you could have just read the book <laughs> yeah. at, a normal at a normal speed. I know. It, it's crazy. Um, um, it, it was a campaign to say that they wish that there were more ebooks that that had that option. Oh, okay. That, uh, that, see, that would be interesting. Yeah. Because um, that, that was partially why I kind of liked ebooks for a while was because I could pump up the font size so that my poor blind eyes can actually read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Boy, do I know that feeling. <laughs> But but you know what I don't like about ebooks? The fact that they're the same price as regular books and hardly ever go on sale. Uh yeah. Yeah, boy, that's that's fun. Uh, I usually um you know, um use uh, Amazon delivery and they'll let you pick a slower option and get e credit. Or, yeah. You know, so I usually use that. Uh but at my age, speaking of being old and stuff like that, I can't take any more physical books. I've got a whole bunch of physical uh, Pathfinder tabletop first edition books that I can't practically give away. Like I'm just gonna end up taking them to Goodwill. I just, you know, as you get older, it's like I don't wanna, you know, have a rock fall on my head and leave a whole bunch of crap that somebody else has to go through. And honestly, I don't use the physical books anymore. Mm -hmm. So it, they know this and that's why they don't because you know how the, the price of books and the price of any good isn't based on how much it costs to like print out or anything like that. It has to exceed that, but it's not based on that. It's based on supply mm -hmm. and demand or whatever and how much they think they can get for it. I guess in the case of a digital good, there's no supply, but it's how much the demand they create. So electric games, yeah. electric book. Some publishers do do some good sales though. And I pick up on those. But yeah, occasionally you come across uh, books that uh, like I go uh, thrift stores spelunking. Mm -hmm. to stuff uh, for stuff to sell on eBay. And I found this book called Sons of a Trackless Forest and uh, it sold for $350 and I bought it for three. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just get these weirdo things that you're just like, what? And like, I find random books that actually sell for stuff, but then, you know, I'll sit there and scan books and like see if they're worth anything. And then it's like, oh, this thing is $3 with free shipping. How does that even work when the cheapest thing of media mail is like three sixty five or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. And, and I love going to used bookstores and just seeing what kind of treasure I can find. Um, I remember, not necessarily a used bookstore, but uh, Vaughn found um, like a whole bunch of fourth or third edition D&D on, on sale at Hastings for like 25 bucks each. And these are normally, they were normally like $75 books or something like that. And he, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting all of these. Uh, uh, I remember that. Like I used to... Uh, go to uh, yard sales and such. I end up buying a whole bunch of like Star Trek paperbacks here and there, just collecting all of them. Uh, so that's yeah. Now I have to let them all go. But I have <laughs> like uh, one one fun fact was way back in 2004, I think I went to a comic book convention, and there, back before the internet was like really super fast speed and all that other jazz, um, and they had figured out how to better monetize uh, these things through Amazon and such. There was a um, there was a company that was taking comic books and books and putting them onto DVDs and and this was completely legit like it wasn't just some bootleg stuff or whatever have you and they had this one DVD that had hundreds of Star Trek comics plus hundreds of of books that were made for the Microsoft e-reader at the time um, 
and I bought them and it was only 40 bucks. And, and I mean, that's that's super cheap for everything that I got. Uh, nowadays, what I do is I still have that collection. I keep it on my hard drive. And what I do is uh, use a program to convert those to Moby so that those can go onto my Kindle and I read those. But that was like a unique find, but it wasn't at a bookstore. It was at a comic book convention. And, and you can't find these things nowadays, of course, because they have since then figured out how to better monetize these things. Mm-hmm. So mm. a little partnership ran out probably decades ago. Uh, Vale, who fights cats, says BookBub is is good for getting big name authors for one to three dollar in ebooks. Ditto for chirp and audiobooks. I know I get a lot of good deals. I feel like I do anyways with Audible. They're constantly emailing me my wish list has gone on sale, giving me credits for all kinds of reasons. The credits are ten dollars a pop, which is not oh, wow. bad for an audiobook. Uh, once you've used up your annual subscription, which I do usually. So I just bought a trip, a three pack of credits for 30 bucks. But then on top of that, because I had bought three books, they gave me $10 more in, in credit, which I used to buy like a $9, $10 audiobook for free. So I feel like Audible is a really good value. Yeah. And the last time I tried to cancel Audible because I, I did like the $5 for three months thing at the beginning. And then. I, I went to cancel and they're like, don't go. We'll, we'll give you half price for another three months. Like, okay, I, I, I can I can jive with that. So um, it's been three months, so I'm curious from how long I'm going to get that to go for. That was like uh, when the pandemic started, Stars, the uh, streaming site, they uh, were desperate, I guess, to try to get people to subscribe. And like it kept offering like $20 for a year, $25 for a year, and I would um, or six months or whatever. And I had to let it run and then just uh, – They'd email me like, come back. We'll give it to you for another for another $20 for six months. If you come back, please come back. And after a while, I'm like, I don't ever use this app. I'm going to stop using this thing. I don't care. It's only $20. I don't need this. Right. Yeah, supposedly, you can uh, string the cable company along that well, that way, too. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, yeah. The cable and satellite companies, they will kind of do that. Like, they'll my uh, in-laws are going to go to um, – YouTube TV and they called to cancel and they were like, all right, we'll lower your price this much, this much, this much, and this much, and you can have this and added to it. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess this is cheaper this way, actually. So it's like, oh, so you guys really just are just uh, piling on the cashier for no particular reason. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. It's all one big racket. (laughs) I'm sorry to say an annoying one at that. Uh, right. Uh, but we die. We digress. I could talk about books and audiobooks all day long. What else is going on with you, Miss Kelly? I mean, that's been pretty much it. Like I said, I'm c- kind of I think I'm going to start wrapping up the game this week. Um, that way I can work on my Fuga playthrough because I haven't touched that in a month. And I kind of kind of left that in the lurch. Um, got got the regular ending and uh I, I'm dying to see like what some of the better endings could be for that. So um, we shall see how addicted I get again. Um, who knows? Maybe there might be another another layer to the game, like a sub subterranean world. No, I doubt it. Might be hoping for too much there. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> little little Zelda, little too much Zelda on the brain, apparently. Yep, a little bit. Well, I mean, the fact that I've been dreaming about it at night and having Zelda dreams. <laughs> I, I think I might be playing that game a little bit much. So that, that that's what I've been playing. Nice, nice. How about you, Mr. Costa? What's new with you? 
Well, I've been uh, struggling through Darkest Dungeon 2 still. Um, you'd think after playing some difficult games, I would take a little bit of a break or something like that. <laughs> but no, I went straight into... I tend to think I'm pretty good at tactical games, and Darkest Dungeon just has a way of making sure you feel humbled. <laughs> I guess you're just a glutton for punishment, apparently, huh? Oh, yeah. Like... There, there have been interesting moments, though, from what I've read overall, because you pick up bits and pieces of what others think of the game, and uh, the way it breaks down for the sequel here is you're in a stagecoach. You pick from four to you can unlock up to 12 different characters. You can't have more than one of a class anymore. They all have backstories. And you start moving in your stagecoach, you go through a couple of different uh, biomes, and then you reach a mountain where you fight a boss, you beat the boss, you unlock the next chapter. The chapter two and chapter three bosses are apparently like game enders, where people are just like, nope, I'm rage quitting, never touching it again. Two is supposed to be easier than three. Uh, 20 hours in, I beat the second one finally, like 20 hours of just attempting that. Because being a roguelike, of course, if you die a full party wipe at any point, you have to start the whole journey over from the beginning again. Oh, dear God. <laughs> but no, you, get, you. you do get some, uh, they're called candles, to go to a, a altar of hope where you can unlock more items, uh, slightly stronger versions for uh, things for your characters, like, you know, 10% chance of avoiding death blows. Uh, which, when you get brought down to zero health, you're on death's door for at least one round, and then it kind of does its own little roll to see if the character dies or not. But the funny thing was, when I uh, I was a bit proud of, is this third boss is supposed to be the hardest thing ever, and it was very difficult. But uh, leading up to it, there was a mini-boss that actually wiped my almost my entire party, and I only had one character left. So I made it to the end, and when you've lost characters, and uh, the game will give you a random assortment from the heroes remaining. So I'm like, okay, I have random team that is not like maxed out with any masteries or anything like that. This isn't going to go well. Go and fight the boss. And there's four rounds, uh, or at least four rounds, of these little mini eye stalks that will see your character... And if you don't defeat them by the end of the turn, they, at the beginning of the next turn, will immediately do a very damaging attack to you. And then these stocks get bigger and bigger, and as they get bigger, bigger, they're beefier. And then at the very end, when they all become the largest eye stocks that can be, it's like th three or four rounds at the very least, the uh, actual creature appears. And if you'd defeated any of the eye stocks that are seeing you, your character isn't seen so it's big attack that it does on your entire team which was like you have 50 health it's doing 40 damage per round and only three of my characters were seen so the one that wasn't just kept chipping away and one of the characters has the ability to uh dodge attacks so even though he was on death's door he just kept dodging so i'm like am i actually winning i think I, and then i won the fight <laughs> Because like it's doing 40 damage per turn. This final boss has 250, and you can do like 8 to 15 per hit. So you have at least five or six rounds you have to survive of it. Like it's going to kill you in two. So I just went. I hope I never fight this again. <laughs> but 
it's going to be a story to say, yes, I beat the, the chapter three. I don't even remember the name of it because I only had to fight it the one time. The chapter two one's called Seizing Psy. So it, it's, it's a game where at any given point, when you feel like you're safe, doesn't mean it will be because like that mini boss uh, along the way was not something I expected. It was one of the random uh, options from a encounter at this node you stop at. And I'm like, what is even this thing? And it almost took me out and I'm like, okay, I was set. Everyone was healthy. uh, I've gotten to the groove into the game. There's nothing that can, Oh, it almost got me. (laughs) Gotta love that overconfidence sometimes. You're like, all right, I got the uh, oh crap. Just threw yeah. a complete uh, wrench in the work there. And like, oh, okay, well, that didn't turn out so well. Yep. And oh, overconfidence has been coming up a little bit lately, particularly with like a tactical game. Because before Darkest Dungeon 2, I had played a game called Redemption Reapers, which is essentially old school Fire Emblem uh, with even more le- or less resource ability to purchase so like you have no resources and all your weapons are breaking down you only have five characters so have fun so it's made to be difficult as well and i'm like this game's so simple so i'm i made it through that a lot uh, easier and quicker than i thought i would and then darkest dungeon 2 came around and i was like okay i think i'm doing really good and no no matter what the game is you can be humbled sometimes like even if I stopped playing this now and started playing like Tears of the Kingdom, which was mentioned earlier, I bet you I'd jump off something, not know how to turn the bike on properly, and just oh, Link died. Yeah, um, if if you don't like put the fans on the control stick in like the perfect positions, you're going to just veer off to the left or right, and the the bike has been possible to get your alignment checked. Yep. Yeah, it, it, it's even worse when you um have a Korok on the back of it and are trying to re- have the Korok rejoin with its buddy. Hmm. I, I crashed the, and that's the other thing that the most efficient way to quote unquote land the bike is to crash it. <laughs> like seriously, just drive it right into to the ground. Um, Cause if you try to jump off of it, um, you lose all, there's momentum there and you pretty much just, your bike's gonna fly off the other side of a cliff or something. Yeah, you just watch it sail on by as you like. Oh, I didn't think this through very much, did I? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh boy, it's at the bottom of the. This is my life now. <laughs> couldn't you just rewind it basically and get it back to a certain um, point? Not if you. If can't, it's not too far. Yeah, if it's too far away, pretty much screwed. Yeah. Isn't that just what RPGs are, though? Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. You make a decision and just go, why did I just do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Well, it sounds like you got the love-hate relationship thing going on like I do. Very, you under- do. very understandable. Yeah. So what are you love-hating these days? Well, let's see here. I did a quick run-through of Star Trek Resurgence. So... That is uh, for an adventure corner write-up. I got it done. I just need to actually get it posted and re- um, edited. But um, it's oh, a... is that the one that that just came out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Chris Chris was showing it on the stream a few weeks ago, and we were like, "Ooh, boy." I liked it. It was. It's like a Telltale um, 
narrative type of game and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you, you're you're playing the roles of two different uh, characters. One is a is a brand new commander to the ship, and I'm terrible with names, so uh, you have to forgive me. But um, she's a new first officer, and the crew doesn't initially respect her. This crew has clearly been through hell and high water. Uh, their prior, prior first officer was killed, and so um, a lot of them are very skeptical about her because they they feel like maybe the captain should have promoted somebody from within. And then the second one is is a petty officer crewman uh, working down engineering. And what's uh, and what's really funny is he's got uh, the chief engineer there is a is a Vulcan. So imagine having a Vulcan for a boss, you know, just pure logic, no emotion, just get the job done. I, I don't I don't care about your feelings. This is the regulation. Um, mm-hmm. That's what he has to work with. Um, and it's got a little bit of that lower decks feel show if you watch that show because they're down there in those, you know, in those um, lower decks and stuff. And the perspective switches between these two. So your commander who's on the bridge may have options that will um, uh, may have to make choices that affects the crew. And maybe the crew's out there, the engineering team's out there like on the, the top of the ship making a repair. That's very critical. While at the same time, the commander's having to make decisions about raising shields and trying to protect them and whatever. And it goes back and forth. And I think they've done a really good job with it. Um, if you and, and the vibe is very much of like the older Star Trek, so the next gen, like the next generation vibe. The time period is actually after the next generation movie, but nowhere close to the new shows that are on here. And it definitely calls back to those kind of vibes. You will get cameo appearances from um, some of the characters uh, from the. Oh, well, it's just be cameo. They actually play a role in the plot. And if you're familiar with the next generation shows, there's a lot there to kind of gush over. But even putting it aside, I thought what was really cool is this, you know, one minute you're playing the uh, the crewman and the next day you're playing the person who's, you know, one of the top people in charge of the ship, um, making these big decisions that affect the entire ship. And yet the crewman doesn't feel any less important to what's going on because, you know, he's he's down there making the, the big repairs and stuff. So I just uh, I really enjoy that back and forth. And they really you really care. about I cared about the characters. Um, as the story went on, I wanted to find out what was going to happen with them um, as they got further and further into this um, problem that they found themselves in uh, and who do you trust type of thing. I thought it was really, really good, and it doesn't really pull a lot of punches. Uh, there are going to be some uh, emotional moments if you get uh, connected to these characters type of deal. So I, I liked it. I thought I fell for a 12-hour romp. Um, they, they were, it was not perfect in every way. The gameplay, because it's more of a narrative experience, it feels like a collection of many games that we've seen a hundred times. There is some like times where you're firing a phaser at enemies and it turns to like a third person shooter that feels very bad. Um, just does the job, not much else. Uh, I did run into a couple of minor bugs. At one point I had to close the application and reload it and have to play through a scenario again. There was one scenario that took me four tries to get past and i'm pretty sure it was a bug and each attempt was like five minutes so that was getting a little irritating i was beginning to wonder if i was going to get past it um but i did uh eventually i just took like a slightly different approach that made no sense when i just figured you know the definition of insanity so i tried a different approach and that seemed to get past the bug again no logical reason why it should have changed the outcome and you could turn it to story mode at any time and i think that would probably uh, get rid of those challenges anyway, so I could have done that, but I was stubborn. Want to kind of see it through. 
but I really, really enjoyed it. And if they came out with a second one uh, like that, I, I would be. So I'll have a full write up eventually here on the website that will go a little bit more, you know, into the detail. Um, but but I, I kind of liked it. But I'm also a Star Trek fan. I, I'd like to think that people who aren't Star Trek fans will still like it. It has a positive message, um, as the older Star Treks did. They were very focused on the positivity of humanity and the fact that we will work together to overcome um, our weaknesses and our selfishnesses and stuff like that. I think it's a contrast to some of the newer Star Treks that feel a bit more dystopian <laughs> and darker in theme. Uh, the older Star Treks, even when they were dealing with some of the most cruel enemies and they were you know, down and out and, and sometimes even crossing some lines um, in, in fighting certain wars and stuff, they they would they would get back to that point of like we will rise above this as a race, and that positive message is is very strong theme in this in this uh, game, and I and I definitely appreciated that in this day and age. Uh, the second thing is on the stream right now that I'm playing is Etrian Odyssey. That recently, the Etrian Odyssey first three games, one, two, and three, are on Switch and the PC through Steam. They are they are remasters of the original DS games and not remasters or ports of the um, I would say the improved uh, Untold that we got with one and two. So you're not getting Etrian Odyssey. Untold Millennial Girl, for example, which if you're watching the stream, let me see if I can switch my camera here. Um, but funny, funny story is on here uh, showing uh, I have Etrian Odyssey on Untold Millennial Girl, whatever the hell it's called. Um, and I've been playing that on my 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 2D or 3DS, whatever the hell that's called. Um, but it, it, it is uh, the PC version is the original Nintendo DS with some quality of life improvements to work with keyboard to work better with a controller without the touch screen um i have been playing with both of course the big question with that and odyssey is oh the audio cutout sorry about that um the question with Etrian odyssey is what about drawing the map that was a huge point of the nintendo ds and i often thought the mm -hmm. stylus thing was a gimmick with the uh, Nintendo DS, I didn't have much use for it or fun with it. And with the exception of two games, one of them was The World Ends With You. I liked that combat system and I got kind of addicted to it, the way it bounced between the touch screen and the top screen and the controller and stuff. Um, and the second one was the Etrian Odyssey series. Drawing the map on the bottom was so tactile. It really made me feel like I was playing uh, the old 80s RPGs where I'd have to draw maps on grids and stuff. And it was really, really cool. Uh, in uh, in this, obviously, you know, they're bringing this to the Switch where you might be playing on your television if, and and uh, you may not have touchscreen. I understand if you're playing in handheld, it does let you draw the map, but if you're playing on the television or if you're playing on PC and you insist on using a controller, um, it, it, for me, it's a bit iffy. I might be something I eventually get used to with muscle memory. Um, thankfully, you can turn on auto mapping and it will map all the floors and walls. That just leaves you to put down notes and highlights um, and auto routes. And I feel for notes and highlights, it works just fine. The auto routes, I'm having a little bit of time getting used to that with the controller and planning those out. On the keyboard and mouse, which is what I prefer right now just because it's easier, um, I've been drawing out those auto paths real easily with the mouse. You just drag the mouse over the map and you're kind of good to go. And I've been showing that some, some of that on the stream. Um, the, the music is pretty much what I expected. It's pretty much the same as the DS, a little bit cleaner. 
however, it doesn't include some of the um, new tracks that were in the untold. It is really just the first NDS one. Um, so that's a little, you know, it's a little disappointing, especially since some of the, that can get repetitive. You've been playing the game for many hours, but that's why I have audiobooks. Um, but yes, as, as a good old dungeon crawler, it's bright, it's vibrant, and it's got a very solid combat system, especially as you get an Etrian Odyssey 3. Uh, by the time they got to three, they were really hitting their stride. Uh, so uh, there's definitely more classes, more, uh, I believe three also had the subclasses, if I'm not mistaken. So they have more depth uh, and a lot more things you can do. But with that said, if you're like me, you want to start off at the first one and play all three or whatever, uh, you can do that. Uh, they are $40 each, which might be a bit steep for a remaster for some people, especially if you're thinking about buying all three, it's $120. But at least when I bought this back a few months ago, because I pre-ordered, I was able to get it on Fanatical. I was able to get all three for under, I think, under 70, which is $25 each. So I think that was fine for me uh, for the value that I'm getting there, but to each their own. If you're yeah, just gonna, that seems fair. If, if you're just going to buy one, I would suggest Etrian Odyssey 3. Uh, they have not remastered that one into an untold or anything like that. It holds up just fine. I played that not too long ago. Uh, a couple of years ago, and I enjoyed it. And all the improvements that you know were inherent, you know, they had figured out by then is in that game. So, be nice if they did the Untolds. It'd be nice if they did four or five in Nexus. Uh, we'll see mm -hmm. what happens with that. Yeah, I was pretty upset that they never did an Untold for because I thought three had one of some of the best story. Absolutely, absolutely, no, totally. Um, and then last, but most certainly not least, Diablo 4, because Diablo 4 <laughs> this is one of those things that people either seem to love or people seem to be like, no, I'll never play it, whether they're boycotting Blizzard still or because uh, they don't feel like it's close enough to two or to three or they just never got into Diablo to begin with. It seems like very people are pretty opinionated on Diablo 4. Next, I want to check it out, but... I don't know. I'm just not as enthused for this one as I am for three. And part of it is because I thought that um, Diablo I I Immortal was kind of a, <laughs> a canary in the coal mine, if you will. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not a fan of the Battle Pass stuff and the microtransactions and stuff like that. And it seems like they're going full hog with that stuff this time around. Yeah, so, and I tend to, I learned a long, I, for me personally, I've learned a long time ago, I just judge games, and I no longer judge developers and publishers. I just wait till the game comes out and see if it's got what I like in it or stuff. The um, uh, Because we've seen really good companies come out with shite all of a sudden, like Cyberpunk. Um, we've seen bad companies suddenly do something really good um, that kind of blow blow us away and get some things right here and there. Um, and I, I, there was a particular, and it, it's escaping my mind which one it was. I remember like EA coming out of the blue, and I don't really like EA games. Um, they monetize the hell of those games. They tend to be a bunch of fetch quests. Um, EA is definitely kind of the banner child for big corporate takeovers. And, uh, and yet they came out with one game, and I forget what it was, that everybody liked, I liked, my friends liked and stuff. So I just kind of looked at Diablo differently than a Diablo Immortal, where obviously, yes, Chris and I, Privateer and I, both played Diablo Immortal for like a few weeks. Uh, I dipped out before he did, 
And yeah, they had monetized the heck out of it where the progression was heavily tied to the demonetization model, which was a shame. It was used in the Diablo 3 kind of like engine. I like Diablo 3 a lot. But uh, with that said, it was it was definitely uh, monetized to, to, to hell and back, <laughs> pun intended. The um, uh, yes, with Diablo 4, we'll get the we'll get that uh, that pink elephant out of the way. Uh, it has microtransactions. I use that in air quotes because nothing that I saw in the shop looked like it was under ten dollars and it went up to twenty five ish. Um, and there they are selling cosmetics, which, you know, that's completely ignorable. Uh, for me, Monster Hunter has cosmetics uh, that they sell. And generally speaking, in Monster Hunter, I just simply um, uh, I'll buy them here and there. And most probably ignore, like, I'll just play the game and enjoy it if I enjoy it a ton. And I want to buy a cool Palico outfit or whatever, I'll do that. I mean, generally speaking, there's a ton of outfits in the game because you, you hunt the monsters, you carve the monsters, and they have tons of good outfits. But uh, some of these are just different, or maybe they look a tiny bit better, so I'll buy those sometimes. Um, Diablo is kind of set up that way for, for that first part. There's tons of outfits in the game. As you kill monsters, um, they drop loot. You take the loot to the blacksmith. You have it broken down. That unlocks the appearance for your character. Um, and even though I'm pretty early at the game, I've already got kind of different outfits and stuff that I can pick for my character, turn things on and off, dye it different colors, and kind of come up with a look for the, the character that I like. Uh, and then... But in the shop, they're selling, obviously, these things that look like they're in-gear sets. And I don't know if the in-gear looking armor is going to compete with what's being sold in the shop. I won't until I get there. But um, the second thing that you just did mention is there is the Battle Pass option. The Battle Pass option um, has a free side, like these things tend to do, and a paid side. The free side has mostly cosmetics from what I understand, or at least what they've gone on record saying, because it's not out till July. They've gone on record saying that it's going to have... Uh, some progression for like your secondary characters if you're an altaholic um, but that's on the free side so anybody can get that um, then on the paid side of it it's just pure cosmetics which i don't know if that means it's going to drop the currency so you can buy the outfit you want from the shop or if it's going to be specific outfit pieces uh, and whether or not that represents a you know, I would assume most of the time the battle passes usually represent a quote-unquote better value than if you were to buy those things all a cart. Uh, but we'll see how all that works when that eventually gets released. But being that it's all cosmetics, it is all completely ignorable. So that brings us to the main game, where you know if you just buy the base base game itself, which comes out in Monday, if you're not buying the super deluxe pre edition that maybe we did, um, you are getting an extremely beefy experience that uh, when it comes to these live service games, because now whether you like it or not, Diablo 3 was kind of live service. It pretty much was. And Diablo 4 is just 100% into that camp, which is definitely making no bones about it. You will see other players running around in your world when you're in the overworld. Um, they are going to continually add to it. Uh, the battle pass is part of that or the cosmetic sales so that they can continue to add to it. So this is pushing it definitely more towards the MMO camp and firmly into the live service arena but putting that on the shelf for a second the world is huge it is much bigger than diablo 3 uh by far the dungeons are massive there's just tons to see and what they've done uh difference from the previous diablos is that exploration is now a big part of the puzzle instead of just looking for like in diablo 3 i'm just looking for bands of elite mobs so i can kill them and get their loot uh, and that's still part of the formula 
but I'm also looking for hidden shrines and new dungeons because each of these are uh, going to unlock different abilities and rooms and things like that. So you want to hunt down and explore. And I find that this is really nice because I'm not just nonstop killing. I'm also looking into nooks and crannies and making sure I fill out the entire map and and trying to find these uh, these other items. There's a lot of meta progression type of things going on as you um, check off these boxes over the world, like you've gone to these shrines and you've done so many of these, you've done so many of these, you fill up these different bars and those give you more rewards and meta progression uh, and the such. And in a way it can feel like busy work and sometimes it does. Um, but I feel like for me, and after, I guess it's just because I play Diablo 3 so much, it's for me, it's a nice change of pace and in, in working up my character's power. One of the other really cool things so far that surprised me is that the story's actually interesting. Diablo games have always had a story. I have never found them particularly compelling, and I never really cared what was going to happen next. Um, in Diablo 3, it had really good cutscenes that was made by a Blizzard team. Uh, they were fun to watch, but you could not pay me to remember anything about those stories aside from something something Diablo took over this one character. We kept calling her Diablo after that because it took over a female character. And, and Diablo actually had a little bit of a female form going on there. Uh, so we kept calling her Diablo. And, uh, <laughs> just, and that's all I can remember from the story. In Diablo 4, it is much more um, well thought out. Lilith, who is, I believe, one of the, the demon uh, deities or whatever have you, has come back to Sanctuary. And she is actually not just some all-powerful Diablo character, though she is incredibly powerful. She has nuance. She is interacting with the NPCs. She interacts uh, indirectly uh, with your character, at least at the beginning. And, and she's a very interesting antagonist that I want to see her more on the screen. And I want to see what she's doing to these people. She's clearly got some plans going on. Um, and that's that's very interesting and fascinating to me. And then these people, these NPCs that you meet along the way, they are people clearly with flaws and weaknesses that she's more than happy to take advantage of. And it's just better portrayed here as in Diablo uh, three, it was, it was more a bunch of victims, you know, and that's okay, you know, here and there, but these are people with flaws. They kind of create some of their own problems and lead their own openings there. And sometimes they, they get what they deserve, um, but you kind of still feel bad for them. So I kind of want to see where the story is going for once, which is not something I've been able to say about a Blizzard game since probably StarCraft II. Um, and so that it kind of feels like quality-wise, the story is up there with StarCraft II, which is not to say it's uh, going to win any awards or anything, but it's interesting enough for me to see where it's going to go. So that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. If you're into the Diablo 2 look, it's here in full force. Just imagine Diablo 2 and that lower lower contrast palette, uh, dystopian type of look, cranked up into 4K with much better texturing, resolution, etc. And that's where you're at. It is really good looking, as you would expect from Blizzard. Um, the uh, classes so far, I played all five classes to level 10. Uh, they all feel pretty good except for the warrior who frustrated me a little bit because it kept dying. That might be something that fixes itself later on with better loot. But with the other classes, I did really well. I love Necromancer. 
corpse explosion. There's nothing like just blowing up the bodies, which kills more enemies, which creates more bodies. And it just becomes like a chain reaction. It's it's fun. Necromancer was my favorite back in the two days, but I, I never got around to playing one and three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I played a bit of two on stream when I was streaming back uh, there. And I, I think I like two. I think I want to play some more two when I get the time, but uh, four is doing a lot of pretty, pretty good things. And make no mistake, again, like with most live service games, they're usually pretty crappy when they're first released because they know they're going to keep adding more and do some tweaks later on and stuff like that. I think uh, my understanding from listening to a number of reviewers plus my own, you know, coupled with my own experience says they made sure to get this one right. You can buy this game and know that you're getting a very complete experience with a really solid end game straight out of the gate even monster hunter didn't do that like monster hunters uh, by capcom which is very well liked and received and reviewed um, did not have a strong in-game when it first released being semi life service game um, they added that later on uh, so and same thing with sunbreak but here it's pretty much there right out the gate so it's 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 a lot it's a lot and heaven forbid you want to do more than one character interesting to me you're because i i played a lot of diablo and by a lot i mean a lot 200 hours in diablo 2 500 hours in diablo 3 give or take about 40 hours in immortal i'm an immortal apologist in some ways because you know i played immortal for 45 minutes a day i never came across any gating in any way shape or form and i just kept getting loot so i didn't see the same issues others did there but for Diablo 4, it being live service worries me a bit just because most of my memories and enjoyment from Diablo franchise is as a single-player experience. I didn't go into the PvPs. I, like I would do torrents in uh, Diablo 3, but that's just to get better gear and you're cooperatively playing. So I don't think microtransactions would affect me much. I'm intrigued by the story because I've always liked the campiness of two and like one, two, and three. So it being a bit more serious could be interesting, but I hope it hasn't lost the camp either. Um, uh, yeah, it does feel to answer those concerns. I will tell you, like I don't feel like there's a lot of camp there. So I've been, I've seen treasure goblins. I haven't ran into cow levels yet. Um, I, I don't know if I, I would, I, I definitely don't think so far I would categorize it as having any sort of, of campiness. Uh, now, as far as the single player and, and stuff, you and I are on the same team. I'm, I'm an anti-social uh, gamer for the most part. I have friends who are like, let's play Diablo together. I'm like, no, go away. I do all this myself and whatever have you. And I was pretty concerned with the idea of this live service game where other people can be running around. I imagine like people running into my monster kills and monster hunter when I solo Monster Hunter for the most part. And uh, I just be like, no, no. I, you know, so one thing I like about Monster Hunter is I choose what kind of experience I have. In Diablo, um, when you're outdoors, you may run into other players, especially if you're near like one of these big events and stuff like that and stuff um, and whatnot. But, um, and that happens from time to time. And if I jump into the event, I guess that's kind of what I expect. The dungeons, however, um, which is where you spend the bulk of your time, are instanced. And if you're going alone, you're in there alone. Um, so it's a very solo-focused experience for the most part. Uh, so I, I think they've kind of, you know, are kind of walking this line in order for, if you want a Diablo experience, and this is the argument, right? 
if you want a Diablo experience where they're going to continue to make content for it, right? And they're going to continue to expand on it and build more classes and build more dungeons and deeper end games and stuff like that, like what they've done with Diablo 3 to an extent. But Diablo 3 doesn't have a lot of errors. But you're talking like we want better than Diablo 3's um, post game or, or Monster Hunter. Like both Monster Hunter and Diablo 3 have kind of like some support events, things like that afterwards, some different tweaks. But they don't really add very many things compared to like a real life service game like an MMO or something where they're adding completely new dungeons, new levels, new classes and whatnot. And so the argument is if people want that out of Diablo 4 and clearly they think there's a call for that. Look at Path of Exile, how popular that is as a live service experience. If you want like a Path of Exile experience, they've got to be like Path of Exile, which means it has to be more online um, because the old model of just kind of putting out a single player offline experience um, and selling an expansion here and there like they did with Diablo, the older Diablos, doesn't really work for more than an expansion or two. And then, and then it's done. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, with every expansion you come out afterwards in a non-live service game, you sell less and less copies. That's why, even today, when you have a game like Monster Hunter, there's just one big expansion when you're using the old expansion model. So this is the trade-off. It's going to have the clans if you want to be in a guild. It's going to have these people in the cities. Da 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 da. And I'm with you. I, I I'd rather just be able to turn it all off. I don't understand why there's just not an option why I can't just turn it off. I have to be online. I get that. I had to be online with Diablo three. I've come to a place of acceptance of that. But can I just turn them off, please? No. <laughs> but, but it's still a really fun experience. That for the most part is solo. Dungeons are all nice and solo, and it's great. And even in the uh, the 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 um the world itself is so huge. I don't constantly have people in my face or competing me for kill. No, that doesn't ever happen. Um, it's it's just these big events where I'll be doing an event by myself, like an overworld event where it might be like defend the spirit or something like that. And those events can be challenging uh, solo. Um, then other people will join in and you're like, oh, I guess I'm kind of glad for the help because I was going to fail this event <laughs> trying to pull this off alone. So you can take that for what it's worth. That's going to be different things to different people. But we had that with Diablo Immortal. You said you're an immortal apologist. Don't you have the same kind of situation in Immortal where Overland is filled with people, but the because it's a live service game as well? See, with Immortal, though, since particularly since it's on the phone, and I, I know what mobile games are more often than not. I know what I'm getting into. Uh, I've played games with a lot worse monetization than Diablo Immortal. It's just, in a lot of ways... Diablo Immortal was one of the first ones that people got into. So they're like, uh, almost all of them, you can't just pick up and play the entire day. But I don't play a mobile game to pick it up and play an entire day. I play it while I'm in transit, while I'm on a lunch break. So 20 minutes of playing Diablo on my phone works fine for me, or worked fine for me. I haven't really played it much lately, to be honest. Uh, and f having people on the map, at least when I played it, there wasn't really any PvP aspect to it. And there, I can't remember exactly how it worked because it's been a little while for Immortal, but I appreciate that it was a next step on the loot system from 3, which I find to be a very underrated uh, inclusion to a game like that. Because I played a lot of like Borderlands 2, for example. And in Borderlands 2, you had a treasure chest, you open it up, you're fighting each other to pick up what's in there. Diablo 3 and Diablo Immortal, whatever drops is for you, no one can steal it. 
So it doesn't matter if someone runs up and kills a, a boss that drops loot in front of you because whether you're in a team or not, you can just walk over and be like, hey, I get that loot. So I didn't really feel like I was losing out on much. Yeah, that's pretty much but, how it works in 4, though. That's yeah. exactly how 4 works. There's I was just no worried if PvP it was a overworld PvP. No, not unless okay. you... It is pure, a PvP is purely an optional thing in, in, in Diablo 4. Yeah. If you're doing forced PvP in the world, you've now turned into not just an MMO, but an archaic MMO. Right? Only games like Ultima Online and stuff, generally speaking, force PvP in the overworld on their players. Um, you don't get that with Diablo. They would not. That would be a huge red button if it. That would definitely be something that would fire up in reviews. Uh, no, no. And if and 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 I played with my friends a couple of times. It's instant loot. They do not see what I see. I don't see what they see. We don't fight. But you can. I believe you can trade. So if you get something that that your friend can use, because I heard some of my friends talking about trading items or something. Or I don't. I don't know that. Take that with a grain of salt. Um, I don't know if trading for effect is a thing, but that's just what I've heard. But at the very least, you're not fighting over loot. That's not a thing. Did they go full MMO route with, say, as you're playing as a necromancer, you get a good piece of barbarian loot. Could you trade it to your barbarian? I should be able to. Let me just double check real quick. In all the prior Diablo games, you could. You had a shared stash. I know there um, there is a regular stash that you can... Let's see what it says here. Place your gear. Can I yes. Yeah. According to Google and Prima Games, you can in fact put it into your chest, and your other characters can access it. Right. So, yeah, that was also in Diablo three. Yeah. Uh, and Diablo two, because you had a shared stash there, a tab for shared stash. One of the tabs was for switching with your other character. One yeah. of the worries, though, would be that uh, Diablo 4 went a bit too far the Diablo Immortal route, which in Diablo Immortal, things didn't drop for alternate characters. Whatever dropped was just for, like, if you played a Demon Hunter, it was only for your Demon Hunters that you'd get loot. So that's right. what, one of the reasons I stopped playing it is I, there's no point in playing any other alts, and if the game's going to gatekeep me later on from uh, experiencing the story, even though it's a mobile game... I, there wasn't really much incentive beyond the addictive loop of gameplay. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know, that was a thing with Diablo was people complained that the loot was kind of all over the place, and so they made it more focused on whatever character you're playing, and then people complain that they're not getting drops for their alts. So I'm not sure what the happy medium is there, and I'm not sure exactly where Diablo 4 kind of runs on it, because honestly... I don't really pay much attention. I just look at the loot for my character, and if it's great, I equip it. And if it's not great, I just dis- dismember it into little bits and pieces mm-hmm. um, to craft other things. So I'm not really super sure if they're, you know, where they fell on that spectrum of like, if you're playing a wizard, you might find some barbarian gear here and there that might be useful for your um, barbarian character. Generally speaking, when I play my barbarian character, I find barbarian loot. So my my barbarian equips himself. No RNG chaos says uh, the the happy medium is no RNG rainbow loot systems. Well, that's that was the thing. Chaos was like in the prior thing that was that was the complaint was you would be playing a barbarian and you would find loot and had high intelligence, which doesn't do anything for. Now in Diablo 4, all the stats are important to all the characters, so it's a little bit less painful if you do find, let's say, you're a barbarian and you find something with with high end because int helps your your magic resistance, so it's still useful for defense. Um, they they kind of done a better job of that. 
so that's good to know. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I, and, and yeah, so we'll, we'll see. We'll continue to see. Now, I, I've always been more of a casual player. Um, in Diablo 3, I'd get up to like Torment 10 tops, whereas like hardcore people probably about 40 or 50. So I, I, I never really got into the nitty gritty of deep builds and how exactly the loot falls and all that jazz. But anyways, I'll continue to play it. That's what I've been doing. I think, I think it might be time for the news. Ooh, uh, feedback first? Feedback. Oh, right. Let's do feedback. Um, let's we uh, we asked last week, do you exploit glitches in games? Um, from Strawberry Eggs, if I know a glitch and I know it won't corrupt my save file or something to that effect, I will exploit them. In Pokemon Red, I believe stories that missing no would corrupt a game. Uh, all it did was mess up the Hall of Fame, but I used the Safari Zone trick to battle the very hard-to-catch Pokemon like Chansey and Kangaskhan, and I also used the po Pokemon duplicating trick. I don't remember the Pokemon duplicating trick. I don't remember either, but I do remember um, the whole Missy No will ruin your game, basically. So I never bothered with that either. But yeah, I'm kind of right there with your strawberry eggs. It's sort of one of those things of like, yeah, I'll do it if I know it ain't going to break my game. Because I'm not going to get like 60 hours into a game and find out I screwed the pooch by doing one thing or whatever. And like, I can't finish it now. Yeah, it, the, the trick was to not catch, catch Missing No, but it would duplicate the six item in your inventory. So... Yeah, Infinite that, Master Balls. That's what I thought they were referencing with the, uh, by that was just the item duplication. Ah, uh, okay. There was also the random uh, one uh, over level, like where you could catch the missing no, the level over 100 Pokemon you could get. I still remember having my level 154 Golduck. Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> it was hardwired into each copy of the game. It's like... However, you ended up doing it, and then you had to uh, go up and down this one strip of Cinnabar Island where you could fight Missing Nose, and then each copy of the game had its own over-level 100 Pokemon. Hmm. I don't think I'd ever heard that one. That's interesting. Um, from Tracer3, I will exploit glitches if they are easy to do. I will ignore them if they require real work. <laughs> okay, that what I feel. <laughs> yeah, some of the glitches I see in spe speedruns, um, AGDQ had that was happening this week by the way and it's like you have to get on this right frame and perform this exact thing at, at this exact moment and it's like no I, I i'm too dumb for this yeah i'm just not coordinated enough most of the time or um mm, ambitious enough most of the time I, i've seen a lot of like the i don't know there was some uh tears of the kingdom thing where i just saw like oh here's how you beat this or here's how i did this thing where the i don't know like the shadow of the colossus looking thing like swung its sword down and i used my um, glider to get up it and then did a backflip and I'm like oh yeah just as simple as that huh okay cool <laughs> it's like even yeah, in my 20s I wasn't that dexterous with my fingers okay let's that's not I'm not even gonna bother with this buddy I'm the guy that fails 25% of the time inputting aura bolt on blitzes for saving <laughs> it's just a Haruken man it's two it's two buttons you have to hit one of them at a diagonal I sometimes don't hit it at the diagonal properly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can be tricky sometimes. Gosh, trying to do that on the Super Nintendo controller was painful. Actually, I think I must have played enough Street Fighter 2 that I got pretty good at those. I, I never had the problem. I got good enough at Symphony of the Night because those spells uh, were very Street Fighter. I mm -hmm. got very good at that and um, went back to Final Fantasy 6 and was able to do the blitzes. <laughs> 
I randomly kind of found out there were spells in Symphony of the Night by like just kind of like moving too fast, and all of a sudden I just did something. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What the hell just happened? What what, what was that?" What, they, they not being able to replicate it. Like, what what, what happened? Get, get, t- please tell me what happened. And no, nothing like being at the, on the brink of death trying to do Soul Steel, which is one of the few reliable heals in Symphony, and then doing Dark Metamorphosis, which <laughs> healed you if you attack something that was bleeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and Kelly, I believe you mean Dark Metamorphosis. <laughs> kind of have to say it that way. <laughs> yeah, Soul Steel. Oh, I just played that game like last year. Oh, it's so good. I- I'm due for. Um, and then finally, from the Mighty Tam, I'm not smart enough to figure out glitches. Tam, Tam, neither am I. That's why I let smart people figure out glitches for me. Um, our, our new question of the week: How, how do you feel about battle passes? Yay? Nay? Don't care. Um, I don't like battle passes in full retail games. Um, pay, paying an extra $10 to have the privilege of something along with the 60 dollars I paid for something seems a little excessive. Now, free game battle passes like the ones in the uh, Magic the Gathering Arena or um, Idle Champions, which is a free-to-play game that I play, like, you get a bunch of stuff for t- ten bucks with those, and those I don't mind. And I, you know, pl- playing a free indie game, well, sort of indie in the case of Magic: The Gathering Arena. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't mind throwing them ten bucks every now and then. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say because if nothing, we know Magic: The Gathering is in dire need of money, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, it's situational. It does depend on the game, um, how much I paid for it initially, and then. Eh, you know, even if I've ended a painful price for it, if I enjoy it, if I'm enjoying it enough, it's like, yeah, I'll throw the developers some more money because I want more of this. You know, like if mm-hmm. they somehow figured out a way to throw in a battle pass and tactics ogre, did I did I buy the game in three different platforms just to support it? Yes. Would I buy a battle pass on all three platforms to support it further? Yes, I would. <laughs> I mean, I, I as much as I gripe about the microtransactions in Diablo 4, I have paid for uh, EXP boost microtransactions from Atlas game. So. All right. I, um, oh, uh, Chaos mentions Deep Rock Galactic has a free battle pass as if you don't pay anything for it, which is absolutely true. Um, and most of the battle passes do have a free side to them, I would point out. Um, they usually have a free side with a bunch of pretty good, decent things. Uh, in any games, whether cell phone games or paid games, they usually have some free stuff there that you can, you definitely, definitely won't say no to. Um, so for me, it has to. I, I in games that I, in games that I really really love, like Monster Hunter, that I play hundreds of hours into. I love the I love battle passes because generally speaking, they'll have quests and stuff that are similar to achievements, but they're usually a lot more attainable than a lot of these higher achievements. They're more varied, and well, I guess achievements are. Pretty, um, I uh, but they really kind of get me out of my comfort zone. Like some of the battle pass uh, quests that I have in some of the games that I play. Um, they'll tell me, you know, if I'm playing like, a, uh, you know, a Clash of Clans or something like that, it'll say, hey, um, today's quest is try to win with a bunch of balloons. I never use balloons. So like, okay, I'm going to go and try that and get my battle pass points for the day. And I'll have fun. I'll play the game a different way. I mean, achievements have you do that, but achievements don't have a tangible reward. Battle passes have tangible rewards. Well, I mean, in-game tangible rewards. Um, so, I mean, I don't like achievements because it's all this work and you don't get anything for it but a gold star that you can brag about. Uh, battle pass rewards, you know, or something different. On games that I don't play hundreds of hours into, uh, there are certainly games like, I don't know, um, like DC, um, 
what was it called? Uh, in, in Injustice. I played Injustice for the story. I didn't super love Injustice, but I loved the story. So I had to play through it once the story. And I did a little bit of the game afterwards, leveled up a few characters in Injustice 2 and as such. I think it has a purpose. I'm not sure, but let's just pretend it does for a minute. I completely ignore it because I'm not in love with Injustice. Like for me, Battle Passes are for people who really, really love that game, whether you take the free track or you pay for the pay track. Um, if, if you're not paying a game, if you're just playing a game casually or you really don't love it that much, you're just going to kind of play through the story once and be done with it or whatever. Who cares? Ignore. That's why I don't understand people get up in arms about it because it's just like they're usually completely ignorable. Evaluate the game. And I think that's what people should do with Diablo 4. Ignore the freaking Battle Pass. Is the game worth it to you at $70 for what it currently offers without the extra cosmetics or anything that's offered on the Battle Pass? Even if they were to put EXP gains and all that other stuff that people really loathe when they see that for sale. You mentioned before like the EXP thing on the Atlas games. I never buy those. I just ignore them. But it doesn't offend me that they're there. Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes I just, I mean, I've always supported Atlas, and sometimes I just like having the extra ESP, EXP and gold boost. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't offend me, like, that it's there for people who want it, you know? Like, yeah, you know, speak just, with your wallet. Yeah, just speak with your wallet and ignore it if you don't, and, and judge that if you're a person who's opposed to those things, whether you don't have the money or you don't like them or... Uh, you don't want to feel like, I think one of the arguments against battle passes is that it makes you feel like you have to jump through these hoops and there's FOMO. Mm -hmm. Just just ignore it. Have some emotional management or IQ. But just ignore it. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> Judge the game without it if that's what you want to do. And I think you should do that with Diablo. But and, if you don't complete every single thing of every, of every piece of content, you didn't finish a game, right? <laughs> you didn't complete Ugh. it. And, and you what guys... Right. And and uh, you were just talking about, uh, one of y'all were just talking about how Diablo Immortal, you play it, you ignore all that stuff, and you just take it for what it is, right? You're just leveling through it, and you ignore all the microtransactions, and you're having a good time. For me, Battle Passes fall into two aspects of a Battle Pass that involves a game that has competitive PvP bothers me just because that becomes an right. aspect of paying to win because if pay you don't pay into yeah. that you are going to be lower than the people who are getting extra resources sure. but if it's just you playing the game and it's here's an extra five dollars to get a double xp boost yeah we can it's easier to ignore those the other aspect is a lot of the stuff that's cool or interesting in a battle pass like you were mentioning about do five uh fights using this different character you may not use that could easily just be implemented as a day, like a set of daily quests, which in a lot of games could just vary and change things. Like it's almost like making the once you've reached the end of the game, having something in game to tell you things like use this alt because you don't normally use like using Monster Hunter as an example, kill five big beasts using a glaive and you get these extra resources like why not at that point you're enjoying the game you want to do something different now you're using the insect glaive which you might not do and you have a tangible would, reason for it i would love it yeah i would love like the, the game to encourage me to use different weapons and give me bonus loot or whatever for that that would be awesome because i do like to use different weapons but i'd love more incentive to do so um no no absolutely now i, I will say 
I will say it is a red flag when I do hear that a game has DLC or battle pass with free EXP with uh, EXP gains or power gains or anything like that. And it's just a red flag. Doesn't mean I immediately dismiss the game. The red flag is this. If the company is selling EXP and level ups and boost and whatever have you, then they have a financial incentive to go in and slow down the gains. So they have a financial incentive to create a a dissatisfier for the player. Because generally speaking, people don't like it when you slow down leveling past a certain point, right? When it starts to feel mm-hmm. slow and grindy. Um, and, and figure, so you go to your game developers who've been developing games their whole lives and they're like, develop an RPG. Now we want to make sure they don't level too fast because otherwise it doesn't feel deep enough or you don't get enough time to learn your skills, but we don't want to be so slow that people feel dissatisfied. And developers have been doing this for years, so they know where that sweet spot is at. And they know how long that game should be. But now we're selling battle passes and we're selling, uh, you know, this stuff. But people aren't going to buy it if they can get through the game in only 20 hours anyways. So we need to make sure the publisher or whatever comes back and says, can you slow down those EXP, you know, um, levels? Can you can you raise the, the level requirements um, or l- lower the drop rates and stuff? And uh, because we have a financial incentive to slow this stuff down, we don't want them to get through this game too quick. Uh, so I think, uh, and that's not just uh, a problem with games with microtransactions, obviously, since the beginning of the NES, NES days, uh, developer publishers have felt like it's a big selling point to say that your RPG takes 100 hours. So mm-hmm. let's slow down the leveling a bit. But it's obviously more of a direct financial incentive of these things. So to me, it's a red flag, but that's where I will look to reviewers to help guide me through that and tell me if the leveling process feels so hideously slow without those battle passes. That, that I might want to stay away. When I think about skeevy practices when it comes to battle passes and microtransactions, I always think about um, that one Star Wars Battlefront game where they said that it would take like several thousand hours to unlock everything. Oh yes! Yeah. Oh my gosh! And and yes. and and then it became the most downvoted post on Reddit ever. I remember that. On no. the on the RPG side of things, I want to say it was uh, Mass Effect 3 uh, for downloadable stuff like that, where it was like, to get the real ending, you have to pay for this. And that's when it starts bugging me and also trying, like, because if you're going to make additional endings or additional content story-wise, it becomes hard to think, especially if it comes out soon after the game is released, where it's like $9.99 for this extra option like why not have the story option in there already yeah um i think there was an uh, xbox 360 game called Azure's wrath that story wasn't finished and they uh-huh. <laughs> essentially put out dlc that's finished story i was like that that kind of sucked yeah it was a little skeevy of them i think i remember a fair bit of backlash on that and i mean these days it's not quite the um, problem because you know you can get that game for like a song basically and the dlc is stupid cheap but you know when you spend 50 60 dollars on a brand new game and then you're like oh well now i have to wait for this to actually complete the story not just like oh here's an addendum to it basically it's like no the only way you're actually going to know what actually happened in this game is if you give us more money and wait a few months while the dlc comes out like that's the yeah that's that's where it gets a little skeevy oh well, not just that but I, I isn't the 360 store shutting down at some point? I don't know. I mean, it. Sir's Wrath is backwards compatible, um, mm-hmm. so it's still available 
um, to get on um, like Xbox One and Xbox Series. I would imagine eventually they might shut down the. Well, you know what? I think it's. I think they're shutting down the Xbox 360 store on the Xbox 360. Okay. I don't think they're shutting down the ability to buy those games because, you know, they did put a lot of work into um, getting those games backwards compatible. And I mean, I'm sure it's not a huge amount of money, but once the work is done, you might as well just kind of leave it up there at that point. As long as the licensing is still good, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think the 360 store is shutting down, but it's only on the Xbox 360 itself. Okay, gotcha. Um, I can still get my Vandal Hearts Flames of Judgment. (laughs) God. I forgot. Do do, uh, do the enemies in that one um, burst into uh, like things of or you know fountains of blood when you kill them? I I bought that, but I don't think I actually played it. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I don't recall the uh, fountains of blood, which was which meant that I just wanted to play the first one again. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I did appreciate in the um, in the first game that you know when you defeated a skeleton, it burst into a fountain of blood too. It was like, well, how did that work? <laughs> but hey, whatever. Good discussion there. Now I believe. So. Woohoo! Sorry, I was I was distracted because I the Lego the Lego store has a Pac-Man a Lego Pac-Man arcade cabinet that I ordered this week. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Can't cannot wait to put this together. But for some reason, they shipped that and my bonus items in three different packages. <laughs> and I oh god okay and I do not know why and I'm trying to see which of the three is out for delivery today because if it's the two bonus items and not my arcade cabinet it's like I'm not going to be able to put it together this weekend and I'm, mm-hmm. that makes me sad yeah like but why did they ship it in three different packages that makes no sense <laughs> who knows it, yeah shipping's an odd beast sometimes with companies. Oh, by the way, Kelly, my Tales of Arise vinyl's coming in today, and uh, you owe me $50 still for m- mentioning that it was there <laughs> so that I bought the damn thing. <laughs> uh, um, y- you can bill my PayPal at uh, k- kissmyass at gmail.com. Okay, um, are any, is, is the K capitalized or the A or the M? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay, you got it. I will I will bill it to you later after we get done with the show. Cool. I, I, I did uh, get my package yesterday, and I did was not prepared for how large that Hootie Owl plush was. Oh, is it a big one? Yeah, it, it's like as big as a basketball. Oh, oh wow, okay. Very, very cute, very fluffy. Um, anyway, news. Yes, uh, sorry, distraction. My bad. No, I know. I know, no, that was my fault. That was my fault. Um. Hey, speaking of pay to win, <laughs> Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader gets featured straight. I, I meant the tabletop game, um, not right. the video game. That? Oh, the tabletop. Yeah, that is pay. That's the original one. Of the original. <laughs> uh, um, that's the OG right there. Yeah. Um, Owlcat Games released a new trailer for uh, War K 40, 40k Rogue Trader. This two minute features a quick overview of the Rogue Traders and a new companion. This game's beta will be available on June 1st and will be available to all of those that pre-purchase the game. I'm uh, looking forward to it because I am a fan of what Alcat uh, did with uh, Kingmaker and Wrath of the Righteous with the Pathfinder gaming system. Uh, look forward to see what they can do with the Warhammer system. I'm not very familiar with Warhammer, uh, so it'll definitely be some new territory for me. But I have uh, some faith in uh, what they're doing there, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, one of the Warhammer games, one of the billion of Warhammer games was free on Steam this week, and I claimed it. And I I don't know what the game is, but I'll play it for free. 
Yeah. Rogue Trader uh, only having turn-based combat seems interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's what Alcat does really well. Uh, yeah. they, 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 it was actually kind of a pause and play begin with with Keymaker. Somebody had made a mod that allowed you to play Keymaker turn-based, which is the way it should be played because Pathfinder is a tabletop turn-based game. And it's an extremely deep and complicated one at that. And turning it into a real-time thing where you're controlling six party members at the same time, even with the pause feature, is not a recipe for success. So uh, when, when this person made a mod, it was well-received. So Alcat basically pulled a blizzard. You know, where somebody mod your program and then they just kind of either steal it or do it themselves and say it was their idea. Um, but all I know is that not only does it work well, it, it's it's bloody flawless because you can actually hit the space bar at any point in time and switch between turn-based and real-time. So if you're going through a fight and you've killed half the enemy group and it's just time to mop up, you do not have to have that drag out in turn-based. You can hit the space bar and go back to real-time. Uh, and it's just, it's brilliant. Uh, it's really hard to go back to older games. I remember with, I think it was, it wasn't Pillars of Eternity 2, was it? I think it was where where you could pick turn-based or pause and play at the beginning, but then you're stuck in the entire game. Um, having it, having it, you know, something that's seamless that you can turn on and off anytime is really, really cool. That's why it might be turn-based only. It just kind of depends on how well the turn-based flows. Uh, looking forward to seeing what they're doing, what um, they're doing with Baldur's Gate 3 because there are plenty of ways for turn-based CRPGs to evolve, and there's a lot of a lot on the table. So I'm looking to see what they can do. You know, if anybody could do it, it's Alcat's one of those companies that could. Um, so Squeenix had a video releasing this uh, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Dragon Quest Monsters, the Pokemon spinoff series. And they hinted that a new Dragon Quest Monsters title is in development. Um, I w- I'm curious what this new one is going to be. And I'm hoping and praying that it will come to the U.S., but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> one thing we can be sure of, it probably will run and look better than Pokemon uh Scarlet and Violet. <laughs> yeah, I, I Which, mean, yeah, they, not saying much, but they they were kind of doing the open world thing on Dragon Quest Monsters Joker three for um three DS. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like huge maps that you could fly around in and f- find different things in. Um, they weren't quite as big as Poke Poke the Scarlet and Violet game, but for for the three DS, they were still pretty large. Yeah. So um, I, I guess we'll have new more new more news about this in the future. Yeah, um, I'm hoping I'm hoping we get that because I, I I never really played the like the other uh, monster games that we got out here. I ended up buying them, but I ended up selling them off eventually. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm sort of like I, I I think it I think when those had came out, I was sort of not it on the Pokemon train. And now that I'm sort of like full like you know completely on the Pokemon train, I'm like okay. Getting some Dragon Quest Pokemon basically would be great. Like that's yeah, because I I feel like as you know a graphical showcase and artistic direction showcase as Final Fantasy is, I feel like Dragon Quest is more of the you know memorable stuff. Like you you've got all the same monsters and they all not look the same, but they all kind of look the same from game to game. So there's you know you can build some affinity towards them. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I just being able to use them in a Pokemon type thing would be kind of cool. I mean, it's basically a kid's version of Shin Megami Tensei because you catch them and combine them to get stronger ones throughout Mm -hmm. the entire game. Um, 
and jo- I, Joker 3 was a masterpiece of 3DS, and it's a shame that um, we never got it. Yeah, same thing with the, uh, what was it? Rock, is it, would it be Rocket Slime 3, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rocket the pirate Slime one 3. that came out on the 3DS that we never, never got. Would have loved to have had that one. Rocket Slime was one of my favorite DS games, so. Yeah, I there's a, there's a fan trans, translation out there, and I started it, but then we had our monster, uh, Dragon Quest Monsters backtrack. Oh, so okay. I, I started playing more of Joker 3 and then got really addicted to it. And, uh, <laughs> never went back to just my Mori Mori 3, even though I should. <laughs> but um, does, does anybody, anybody play Honkai Star Rail? That yeah, seems like a I can't game, help right? That. I, I think it's another Genshin Impact clone. Um, yeah. It's it's getting its 1.1 update on June 7th, titled the Galactic Roaming Update. I think it's the um, same company that does Genshin Impact. Oh, okay. That's correct. Um, so three more playable characters, a new area uh, released um, this year in 2023, or I'm sorry, released this year in April. And yeah, you're getting a 1.1 update in a month. So please be excited. <laughs> well said, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Sold the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to butcher this. I- Ikumene Aztec announced? Your guess is as good as mine on that one. <laughs> Jeez Louise. It is a survival action RPG set in the dense Mesoamerican city um, where you're an Aztec and you're fighting con- conquistadors invading the Aztec Empire. Oh, cool. Just what I need to relive both sides of my ancestry. Cool. <laughs> Uh, am I rooting for the conquistadors? Because without them, I don't exist. But do I root for the Aztecs? Because, um, yeah, that's also an Aztec, but Apache. So it's like, okay, well, you're just real conflicted when these games come out. Um, it features a responsive climbing system, and those in need of extra help can make a blood sacrifice and utilize gift from the gods. That- hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. <laughs> 2025. Oh, my God. Really? 2025? <laughs> Like like Chris said last week, just get get back to us in a year. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Front Mission First Remake is heading to more platforms. So it came out for the Nintendo Switch last year, and it's going to come out for the PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Series X on June 30th. Um, priced at $34.99 with a launch discount. So if you missed the Switch version or don't have a Switch, now you can play it on other platforms. And I will wishlist the Steam version because... I'm sure it'll go on sale at some point. Before we go too far from it, a joke for Ecumeni Aztec. Even though it's announced for 2025, it looks like a game that if it was released tomorrow would still have just as much bugs as the 2025 release. (laughs) (laughs) Wholly accurate. And yeah, the, I'm. Uh, things probably gonna end up being a mess. Maybe you know what? Maybe it's better that it's all buggy because then I won't feel like I want or need to play it and not sit there oddly conflicted the whole time I'm playing it. It could be a hidden gem. Could be garbage. Um, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis Version 2 update releases next week. Um, this is for the uh, free-to-play MMORPG uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis. It's going to launch on June 7th. Um, what does it have? Uh, the addition of the creative space and evolution of the personal quarters feature in fantasy star you can customize your own island sounds kind of neat um it's also going to include the chapter six part one of the game's main story so i'm 
you're doing the main the main story stuff, you'll have a new chapter to play, um, new skills for all classes, a cell shading graphics option, and more. Hmm. Now, looking at that Honkai Star Rail thing, it kind of looks like a horny um, Fantasy Star Online. And now looking at this Fantasy Star Online thing, it looks like they're trying to lean into that a little bit more. So I'm like, so is this like the snake eating its own tail at this point? Pretty much. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm not, I'm not the only one that thought that. At least. Like, MMORPG, okay. action RPG. They're kind of not too many different ways to do them. Like Fantasy mm. Star Online 2 at least says the Connect system, which allowed to allows players to create activities like mazes and quiz games, is something that seems like it's unique. Yeah. But it's a lot of them look the same to me. If it's like sci-fi. Like you said, all horny characters. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, Demio Battles has been revealed. So this is a spinoff of the tabletop emulation game Demio for um, a lot of the VR headsets. Um, Demio Battles is a has a PvP battles and uses the same gameplay and combat systems, but uh, yeah, PvP battles and will be available later this year for twenty bucks on PC slash Steam and the MetaQuest Store. Um, and it will be playable in both VR and non-VR. I think, I mean, I had done a write-up on that for our website. And I think it's definitely for people who have VR. If you don't have VR, it just kind of feels a bit gimmicky. And, I mean, it might be okay for a few laps over some drinks. Uh, you want to do some PvP or something or do a few rounds against uh, in PvE. But it, it ultimately feels like a pretty shallow experience meant to be, you know, kind of a rolling around thing. Ooh, we all got VR. We're kind of... for throwing dice on a virtual table and playing like a tabletop experience yay it just yeah i've i've got uh the original game on my uh, uh, meta quest i just haven't touched it because i don't have a good setup for vr it is way too hot when i try to play it and i just get sweaty and the the lenses get fogged up and i'm miserable so um i need to check that out um Pathfinder Abomination Vault's Kickstarter campaign is underway. So this is the crowdfunding campaign for uh, the new Pathfinder game. Co-op hack and slash action RPG based on the Abomination Vault's adventure pack for the Pathfinder tabletop RPG. Um, They are looking for around $300,000 in funding and is set to run it. Um, If you pledge at least uh, $30, you will receive a digital copy of the game as part of their backer rewards. Let's open up and see what the you have too much money reward is. Because <laughs> Chris is not here to do it for me. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, Chris's staple of seeing uh, what the what the most expensive ridiculous tier is. So for um six thousand five hundred dollars Canadian, so about five grand in the US, um you get to be a team member for a day. Um join the be calm team for a whole day, collaborate with different teams and take part in meetings, share your feedback on the advancement of the game, and includes everything in the ultimate collector's a box. Travel and lodging expenses are not included. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, yeah. Yeah, pay for the privilege to come here and crunch with us. Uh, yeah, p- pay for the privilege of being a-, a fly on the wall at a meeting and you probably your ideas probably won't be heard. Oh, completely. Yeah. Just walk by someone's desk and hit backspace. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chained Echoes update is adds a new game plus. Have we talked about Chained, Chained Echoes? 
you guys? I'm not sure, but generally speaking, oh, Chained was, Echoes is talked about a lot. Uh, this it, was the uh, retro RPG that came out last year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's on Game Pass 2, I believe. Um, so it, they released the 1.2 update, and it's available now on PC, Mac, and Linux, and will be available on the console versions within the next couple weeks um the big thing is that it adds a new game plus along adjustments to the crystal crafting system sure uh, that's one that i've wanted to try but i just haven't gotten around to it so yeah that for me that's been a thing too um it looks really cool but what is time anymore you know Um, limited unfortunately (laughs) yeah um vr vampire rpg Got tongue-tied. VR RPG Vampire: The Masquerade Justice has been announced. Um, so yeah, you're gonna be in a virtual reality first-person adventure RPG coming out for uh, the MetaQuest, um, MetaQuest Two, Three, and PlayStation VR. Two. Remember the VR oh, Two? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. VR Two. Sorry, I forgot there was two of those. Um, That's okay. And yeah, it seems this- like most people do. Um, this is based off of the World of Darkness tabletop universe, and you control Justice, a vampire, and the Banu Hakim clan who travels the city, home of the Hekata vampires, in search of a relic stolen when their sire is. So yeah, you get to r- run up and bite people in VR. I don't know if that sounds like my thing, even if I had VR. <laughs> well, if you're too embarrassed to go wipe, warp your uh, vampire, the masquerade tabletop game in real life, you can play it in the comfort of you know what that is a very good point i won't feel quite so weird about biting the jugular of one of my friends so <laughs> what's well, messy um, too um now we're getting into qu- quicker new release dates infinity infinity stress dragon quest the adventure of die gets a release date it's going to come out worldwide on september pc ps4 ps5 series x and s and into switch um this is based off of the uh Dragon Quest Adventure of Die manga and anime series that I don't think uh, Dragon Quest expert on the staff, uh, Matt, a.k.a. Platyam, a.k.a. my podcast partner in crime. I don't think he liked that uh, manga and anime very well. I thought he said it was boring. So, I mean, I'm dying for new Dragon Quest. A friend of mine who watched the anime called it very retro and like you can tell it's a 80s or 90s story. So Ah, it's old feeling with new coat of paint. And I'm just (laughs) interested in the action RPG and the Dragon Quest universe aspect. Yeah, I mean, uh, the end game is going to offer a story mode that's a retelling of the manga and anime Sovereign Rock Castle R.O. Oh, and it has an original dungeon um, for you to play in too. Wait, an original dungeon as opposed to... From, I'm confused. So an original uh, dungeon from that isn't in the manga and anime? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Temple oh. of Recollection is an original dungeon with multiple features, different enemies, and stage mechanics with each playthrough. Ah, okay. I understand now. I was like, wait. Yeah. It just made it sound like original, like, okay, like, so there, was there a game of this prior that... Did, uh, yeah, I... My dumb brain just wasn't grasping what was going on there. Sorry. No, no worries. Um, I didn't explain it very well. Um, Ancient cave. Got it. Yeah. So <laughs> Sting has released the remaster of the tactical RPG Blaze Union, the story to reach the future on iOS and Android in Japan. Um, this is a sequel to the Yggdra Union game that was on GBA and PSP. Um the mobile release follows the Switch release of the country last month. I don't know if we're ever going to get a 
I hope so, just because the Department Heaven series that it's a part of just seems so interesting. I've only played the first part, Riviera, the Promised Land. I only played Knights in the Nightmare. Didn't that I... have like a weird like shoot 'em up aspect to it too? Yeah, it was a very so. weird game, but it was I remember. Very... Yeah, I remember like somebody had sold me on trying it like that, and yeah, it was just like it's an RPG, but it has shoot 'em up elements. I'm like, you may have just gotten my number with that one. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it. seeing screenshots, it looks unplayable, but watching <laughs> videos of it, you can kind of understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, it, it was a really good game, though. It was really colorful. Um, and I, I'd love to try the PSP version to see how that one played. Alex 2 is releasing on the Mac in June. Okay. <laughs> the Mac version will be available through the App Store time uh, this month in 2020 said to take advantage of the me- metal shading language and indirect command buffer for performance. Cool. Well, as a that Mac is... owner who has none of that, I, uh, yeah. great. <laughs> Fantastic. That was a lot of words. Um, if you're curious, you can ch- check out Pascal Takaya's impression of the game. Um, WrestleQuest enters the ring in August. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is the one with the officially licensed characters. Yep. Do mm-hmm. it. So it is going to come out on August 8th this year. Um, I think we we had a story a couple of weeks ago saying that it was delayed. Yeah, so yeah I remember that. This is delayed. the edge of that. Yeah. Um, delayed partly ad- because of the 50 hours or so of gameplay with story. And like, I, I, I want a Trails of Cold Steel wrestling game. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Um, so it's going to come out for PC. PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Series X, and Switch. Um, and this is the one that includes licensed wrestlers from the 80s uh, through to today, including Macho Man Randy Savage, Booker T, Andre the Giant, Jake the Snake, Diamond Dallas Page, Jeff Garrett, and more. <laughs> kind of sad when I see that. It's like, oh, how many of these guys are dead now? Holy jeez. Yeah. <laughs> depressing. Fair, how many of them are alive because of DDP yoga? If you don't know about the stories from that, DDP created his yoga uh uh, yeah. tapes and that and as a result gave them to his friends uh, Scott Hall lived for another 20 years because he it was like one of the things to help him rehab and Jake the Snake no longer does drugs and is doing DDP yoga so it's like DDP yoga saved so many lives just from oh. existing randomly hmm. okay well that's good at least I saw or on a podcast I listened to uh, Never Not Funny um, they had Bret Hart on there as a guest at one point and boy um that was a that was a rough listen. I don't think he's I don't think he was all there anymore. Uh, Wrestling's a hell of a thing for a fake sport. It isn't fake. They really get hurt. Yeah. yeah no. I, I I guess I should have said quote unquote fake. I mean yeah. Script fun. Fun, well, fun wrestling. Fun wrestling story. I always love to tell. So I was um, on a WWE kick a few years ago, and I mentioned it to my you know dad. He's like, you know it's fake, don't you? As if that was just gonna like spoil it for me or something like that i was just like um you told me you went and watched spider-man the other day um spoiler alert it's fake yeah it's like he realized like 90 percent of uh entertainment's fake right Right. those reality tv shows by the way fake yeah there's a reason why they get worse when the writer's strike happens because there's there's comedians who write on them and and punch up the the quote-unquote script you know i mean god can you imagine how bad those would be if somebody actually didn't punch up that dribble (laughs) Uh, uh, next, 
I'm stealing this joke from the world. Next time you're dead, bitches, about that, Phil, just say um, wrestling is basically anime for jocks and see what he says. Uh, my uh, my friend and co-host on, on my site. John, if you're listening, there you go. It's anime for jocks. I sort of understand why you like it now, but you're not a jock, so I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only interesting thing about how uh, people saying it's fake still comes up in my mind is that like you can bet on wrestling so like wwe who's winning this match and like that if it's scripted doesn't that seem like it's very easy to figure out how like because it's not like a sporting event where you know you're betting on who's winning the world series or something like that now now you're didn't you see the nba the nba uh leak that came out like if like last year or the nfl leak that came out like last year where the script and who won what and whatever I mean, come on, didn't you, didn't you see that? It's all fake, right? So, uh, yeah. Sorry. Ugh, conspiracy theorists, nuts are fun. <laughs> I mean, at least they're, uh, they don't try denying it, but I just find it interesting. I'd be like, yeah, I'll put $500 down on the guy retaining the championship because, you know, I've like, it, well, this person isn't going to win. They weren't booked properly to do so. Like, it isn't like UFC where two people are actually fighting. So like that, I understand bets, but... If someone throws the match, then it's like, nope, we booked it, so this person's going to lose. How does that not cause any difficulties in the betting sphere? I mean, there's definitely some really great um, documentaries and exposés on, on some of these subjects. And speaking of Bret Hart and his match against Shawn Michaels and how you know, old, uh, Bret Hart was told he'd lose that match, right? Because they, they decide these things ahead of time. The boss has a big say in that. But Bret Hart refused to, to, to lose to Shawn Michaels, so he was. He was basically going to, you know, make sure that he didn't lose. <laughs> and it was, you got to watch it. I won't spoil it, but definitely a good documentary to watch. Another uh, quick story is um, I was, when I was back into wrestling, it was during WrestleMania, I forget, 30 something or rather. And The Undertaker's always had his, um, his win streak. He was up to like 24, 25, whatever the number was, zillion wins in a row in, in WrestleMania. And he fought Brock Lesnar. And this match went on for quite a while, and they were both really putting it all on the line. Um, and then, you know, Undertaker went down one, two, three, and and um, you were you could just hear a pin drop in that auditorium. Like, wait a minute, there's going to be a disqualification. Brock Lesnar must have cheated. The ref's going to throw it out. So the Undertaker, because well, that's happened before, it's going to be something. And it, it stood, and then the lights flashed, uh, the, the animatron, whatever it's called, uh, the TV-tron comes on, and it says Undertaker, like, 25 and 1. And there was this one dark-skinned gentleman in the audience, his jaw open, his teeth, you know, his just jaw just way open, his eyes big and wide, surprised it became, like, this big meme. You can still find it this day, <laughs> just a huge meme. Um, but this is, you know, when wrestling is written well, it all has to do with the writers. Like you said, it 100% has to do with the writers. When the writers are on their game, it is some of the best entertainment ever. When they're off their game or they're on strike or whatever have you, it just, it's it's abysmal. And you just don't want to watch it. It all has to do with the writers. Absolutely. And, of course, the performers who put it on the line. Some of the performances they give in those rings, uh, there were Sasha Banks and um, Bailey. Um, back in W uh, NXT, which is just their uh, kind of their school that they bring people up from, but they had this epic, almost hour-long match between these two ladies that was just phenomenal. I mean, so many big moves and twists and turns and everything. It was just mind-blowing. And when it was done, everybody was standing up and cheering and and stuff. It was just so epic. 
So now it's some really good moments. The amount of times where it's like, oh, you consider it fake, the amount of strength that they have, like uh, going from NXT, there's one uh, wrestler named Tegan Knox who very touch uh, heartwarming moment because uh, she is all healthier now, but she blown out her knee and a torn ACL, MCL, comes mm-hmm. back again, uh, starts fighting uh, in a match again, lands a dropkick funny because she had her uh, knee pad on incorrectly a little bit, blew it again, and she still wrestled for another 45 seconds telling everyone, no, this is not happening again. I'm not letting it happen. So like she walked around and wrestled for another minute on one leg because the other one was blown out entirely and then had to be carried to the back because she couldn't like people were wondering how she was able to put weight on that leg. Right. Just amazing. I I, I have literally two more uh, release dates to get through. Okay, sorry, sorry, I know that was a tangent. Um, <laughs> um, Valtharian Arc Hero Story Two is releasing in June, specifically on June twenty second. Um, it has been in Steam's early access since twenty, and will be available on pretty much all of the. Uh, Anna played the first game and really enjoyed it, and I've had I bought the first game for like a dollar on the Switch, and I want to want to play it so. I think I'm in the same boat as you. I think I kind of got it on um, Anna's, like, not gushing, but, you know, talk about it, and I just never got around to it. And then the most interesting story of the week, Dungeon Travelers 2 Duology is hitting PC. Um, These are the really horny... I just, I I, want to know who demanded this. I I just want to know, who was it, you guys? Which one of you were on the Steam forums and Twitter and stuff saying, we absolutely need this, please. And then, who, who, which one of you guys was it? I, I just, look, I'm all about dungeon crawlers and I don't, I, I am never going to say no to a little bit of fan service. But these, these are like, like the dungeon crawlers where your enemies are scantily dressed. When those are your enemies, like, so you always have these big bosom, weird animal combination deals in front of you all the time i want to know which one of you guys demanded this well i i remember atlas uh, localized the vita game and had to made, made a big deal about having to censor a couple of images because uh that the uh monsters in it looked a little too young <laughs> now now let's let's think about this the real enemies in this game are the clothes right right yeah Right. <laughs> I'm super shocked and surprised they haven't figured out how to make it to where as you're beating up the quote-unquote monsters, they lose more clothing and turn it into a uh, third birthday again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, just, it's, reminds me some of these, I love Dungeon in fact, I'm playing one on the stream right now, I'm playing Etrian Odyssey, I love Dungeon Crawlers, and, and, and I don't care if the graphics are low res or the hokey, or they got some fan service in there, usually, it's usually the, the people in your party, and that's all well and good. Um, but there has been some weird ones on the Vita, including that one which has a whole bunch of girls. Another one that I played where the enemies look like floating fruit and other items, and there was no animation to them. It was just like someone had taken JPEGs of these fruit cartoons, and those are the, you're going to fight this pair of cherries. Good luck with that, right? And it's just like, well, you guys aren't even trying anymore. Okay, I don't know who's buying these these dungeon crawlers, but... Well, well let me tell you that this relates to something that I was reading on r slash game collecting this morning um, while I was drinking my coffee that 
it's it started with somebody who bought a Vita at a Goodwill and went to go investigate the the what was on there, and somebody had loaded a bunch of porn on their Vita, and the entire thread was people telling stories about how they bought either a Vita or a PSP secondhand, and it was either full of porn or full of hentai. Yeah, my first experience with uh, with a PSP was when I first started working for GameStop, and a guy showed me, like, hey, look what I can put on here, and just showed me. I was like, oh, cool, this is not what, okay, that's, jeez, just, <sighs> all right, cool. Let me, at least give me a warning that you're going to do that, dude. So, yeah, I think that's exactly who these games are for. Uh, oh. People that put porn on their Vita, or <laughs> PSP. Related to the gaming aspect of the Dungeon Travelers 2 part, <laughs> Uh, find it interesting that we, like who asked for this on top of the who asked for it it's not available on any of the mainstream pc downloadable websites either it's only on jorin platform yeah because they had trouble with according to them they had trouble with uh the review process on steam so Maybe too horny yeah too horny for steam which doesn't seem right because there's like literal hentai games on steam yeah oh. Hmm, that's interesting. It, it must have to do getting underage. It's... Yeah, there you go. That's right. Yeah, I remember you and Chris brought that up a few weeks ago. When, uh, sort of like enlightened me to like, oh, that's what they mean when that something like that happens. Okay, makes sense. So um, I, I guess please be excited for that. And that's <laughs> all of the uh, news I'd be and careful news about states. saying that aspect. Yeah. yeah, don't get too excited though, okay? Don't get too excited. Aww. If, if you're too excited for more than four hours. <laughs> go see a doctor, for the love of God. Please don't go see a doctor. Please don't. Um, What's coming out, Phil? Oh, now you're saying what's coming out. Oh, that's not good. This never stops, does it? Okay. Oh, you mean what games are coming? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you meant some train delay. All right, I'm going to hang it up after that one. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I, I was uh, attempting to move us on and somehow made it worse. Yeah, good job, Kelly. <laughs> I try. I, um, wait, wait, wait. Okay, new releases. Right. Here we go. <laughs> That's good ever is. Well, Etrian Odyssey, as I've talked about, that came out this week. Uh, this is the remaster of those first three games, Etrian Odyssey 1, 2, and 3. You can get that on the um, it is individual tiles are $40 each. They're, they are bundled together for $80 each. And uh, I can't speak for the Nintendo Switch, but again, if you're on Steam, take a look at some of those um, well-known um key side so you might save a few bucks there if you're into it like i am puzzle quest 3 is that gym that matching rpg i love puzzle quest 1 this is the online free to play uh dealy and it's now on the playstation store uh which i did notice actually i was i was thumbing through the playstation store and saw that was on there uh, so if you can't get a puzzle quest and you want to give that a shot it doesn't cost you anything uh maybe they even have a battle pass system shock remake is uh, been released uh this uh, and it's uh, it's been generally uh, getting some pretty good uh, reviews from the people i follow it was uh, originally for those of you who don't know it was originally released in 1994 it's kind of one of your first early truly immersive uh kind of sim rpg hybrid deals and it's very well loved and received so much so they they made this remake many moons later you can get this on gog steam and epic game store for 40 dollars 
have they, to wait for the Xbox version because I backed it on Kickstarter and picked the Xbox version like a dumb dumb. So uh, the Xbox Series XS is planned to follow at a later date. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as it on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. So yeah. also cool, yeah. I believe this one has uh, the people who made the original in 1994 working on it still yes. as well. Yeah, so it's been fairly well received uh, on the reviews. I, I want to dive some more into them, but I've heard good things so far. Uh, the Caligula Effect Overdose is an enhanced remake of, speaking of Vita titles, uh, the Caligula Effect, including a female protagonist. They're totally going Persona 3 here. Various new characters and revamped visuals. Uh, you might want to check that out. It's coming out on the PlayStation Store. Here it is out on the PlayStation Store for $49.99. And uh, a follow-up, the Caligula Effect 2, was released in 2021. Fun fact. Uh, and that is it for our new releases. Um, excellent. And our editorial content, uh, we've got a War Tales deep look from you, Phil. Uh, I know. Since I don't stream as much, I'm expected to write a little bit more, I think. So... Aside from writing up stuff about Star Trek, I did a write-up about War Tales. Uh, I could, I did some really, really beef. Speaking of beefy games, that's why I wasn't going to finish it. Uh, no idea how it coming out, so I just went for the deep dive. But if you're looking for a a open world uh, CRPG with a good, you know, very solid tactical based system. Uh, that has kind of like a low magic feel to it. There's not any magic that I ran really across. It's, uh, but it is still got that medieval fantasy uh, feel to it. You're taking a group of people, you make up yourself, farmers, mercenaries, low life and the such, and you're going out into the world to make a difference. Really, they just want to, the, the motivations you give to your characters are pretty much your own. Uh, you, I Basically, it's kind of like one of those XCOM things where you make up I like to make up characters named out, named after my friends and see which one of them survives. Uh, but as you go along, you can uh, you gain popularity, you start to get gold and 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 whatnot. You can hire more and more mercenaries, have a really big crew. You become more influential. Your camps get more conveniences that help you to craft better items and uh, have more things that you can do. Uh, with your with your horses and other pets that you picked up uh, and equip your characters better and be more effective in combat and kind of all feeds to itself it's it's very very satisfying though it's not without some um, without some downfalls overall a pretty good title read my deep look on the website for more detailed information excellent so i i think that's the show yeah do we, do we talk about what we're playing next week or is that gone the way of the dinosaur we, we sort of um i'm going to be finishing up Tears of the Kingdom, possibly playing more Fuga, too. And how about you guys? I'm probably going to keep putzing around in Far Cry 6. And then a uh, survival horror game just came out that a friend of mine worked on the or did the soundtrack for called the Tartarus Key that I, uh, I bought. And I'm going to play on my Steam Deck because, um, yeah, as I talked about earlier and what I was playing this week, um, I don't think the Great War... Um, Western front is going to work out for me, unfortunately, just because of uh, the uh, font size and the obstacles with the uh, only having a TV to plug it into. So I might give this one a shot. It seems like it's going to work pretty well on the Steam Deck. Nice. How about oh. you, Mr. Cost? More da Darkest Dungeon 2. Hopefully I'll make it through the uh, last two chapters sooner than later. Now I'm sticking with EO and Diablo. Is this Tartarus key meant to look like Resident Evil? Old yeah, it's school? going for that. PS1 kind of low poly uh, aesthetic that's kind of popular at the moment. Uh, I love that aesthetic. Yeah. 
the soundtrack's really cool too. Like the first few tracks on the soundtrack itself uh, kind of remind me almost of like a, you know, like the more horror instance uh, instances of uh, Mass Effect soundtrack. The first one mm-hmm. that was, you know, that kind of like old school sci-fi feel really strikes me as that. And then a lot of it just like very moody and brooding. Um, I'm friends with Josie Breckner who uh, did the soundtrack for that and did one of the soundtrack or one of the uh, themes from one of my podcasts. And yeah, she, boy she's she's got a hell of a range on her with this um as far as that like you know she does this like kind of um peppy chiptune thing for um uh the blossom tales series and then this is just like what the hell it's like yeah josie you really can flex some creative muscle there can't you <laughs> yeah i i wish listed that i'm i'm curious about it i, I, I will let I, you know I, next week i think i'm gonna play it oh cool because i i do I got into horror games because one, and I I do kind of miss that low poly, uh, pre-rendered background kind of stuff. It gives gives me vibes of playing it at my friend's house on that on the old as hell CRT TV that was like a furniture cabinet. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I love those things. My grandma had one of those. <laughs> and me me screaming my hat off the first time the dogs came through the window, in the first Resident Evil. <laughs> Yeah, you know, even knowing that's coming, I still would jump. Like, you know, I on my second playthrough, I'm like, all right, dog's gonna crash, come crashing through the window. Don't, don't jump, don't jump. <laughs> so yeah, cool. ah, memories. Indeed. Well, and we'll just remind everybody: the question of the week is, what do you think of battle passes? Uh, love to hear your comments on that. Uh, you can do that over on our website, rpgamer.com. We have a comment section where we post uh, the show. So we'd love to hear you talk about that or any other feedback you might have. We go ahead and read that here next week. Uh, and I think that's a, that's it. I, anything else uh, any of y'all have before we sign off? Nope. I, no, I think well that's good. a show. It's a show. Well, uh, on behalf of uh, Miss Kelly, uh, Ryan, and uh, Jason and myself, we thank all of you for listening. Again, head over to rpgamer.com for all the written reviews, impressions, and so much more that you're looking for, head over to twitch.tv forward slash rpgamer for near daily streaming of uh, your favorite RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. And if you're watching us on the stream right now, I'll probably stick around and play a little bit more, so don't run away. Uh, but otherwise, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.